The following pre-recorded program is paid for by SSI Guardian. Welcome to Living Well with Dr. Peg. With your host, psychologist Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark, Living Well with Dr. Peg explores a variety of mental health, wellness, and safety topics. Brought to you by SSI Guardian, Living Well with Dr. Peg shares effective and practical psychological strategies based on biblical principles for living well. To learn more about the show or Dr. Peg's mental health consulting and publishing services, visit drpegradio.com. And now, here's your host, Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark. Welcome back to another episode of Living Well with Dr. Peg, brought to you every week by our sponsor, SSI Guardian. We're coming to you from Denver, Colorado, and streaming around the world online and from your smartphone apps. If you missed last week's episode or any episode of Living Well with Dr. Peg, be sure to go to drpegradio.com for the program archives. And also check out drpegradio.com for information about the show my sponsor, and how you can take advantage of my mental health, wellness, and safety consulting services, workshops, and books. National Family Caregivers Month, celebrated each November, is a time to recognize and honor family caregivers across the country. More than 65 million people, or 29% of the U.S. population, provide care for a chronically ill, disabled, or aged family member or friend during any given year, and spend an average of 20 hours a week providing care for their loved one. My guest on today's program knows something about caregiving. Nadine R. Cornish is the founder of The Caregiver's Guardian and the author of the newly published book, Tears in My Gumbo, The Caregiver's Recipe for Resilience. Nadine Cornish, thank you for being with us today and welcome to the program. Thank you so much, Dr. Pegg, for having me. Well, it's just a pleasure to um, see you face-to-face in the studio and um, see the beautiful cover of your book. I really um, enjoyed reading it. You founded a business called The Caregiver's Guardian after the passing of your mother. Uh, Talk about your personal journey from caregiver to caregiver's coach and advocate and what service the caregiver's guardian provides? Hmm. Well, the caregiver's guardian was the caregiver's guardian was very much a um, a calling. It was a vision that um, that came to me as I began the process of caring for my mother, and actually came to fruition towards the end of her life. So the journey of caring for her was basically a 15 year process. Hmm. Wow. It was a long journey, (laughs) and it was a lot of different illnesses, one thing after another, quite complex. Mm -hmm. I was fortunate, Dr. Pegg, in that I had a background in public health, so Mm -hmm. I understood medical terminology. I understood the importance of advocacy, and I knew how to navigate the system. And as my mother was coming to the end of her life, more and more I would see people who didn't know how to navigate the system and um, my phone basically started to started to ring and it really was a calling in more ways than one Mm -hmm. and uh, it absolutely became the work that I know that I was destined to do well amen I'm sure that you've helped so many people over the years or has it been a decade yet it's been no not Not a decade yet it's been seven years seven years wow 
Well, you said in your book, uh, Tears in My Gumbo, that the journey was so complete that you thought you would never talk about caregiving again. And yet (laughs) here you are. Uh, What was your experience like as you grieved the loss of your mother? Well, that actually continues today. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, It was one of the most difficult and darkest periods of my life. I had spent 15 years actually taking care of my mother. The role reversal had Mm -hmm. absolutely happened. Mm -hmm. I wasn't quite parenting my mother, but I certainly was caring for my mother the way that I cared for my child. Mm -hmm. And it was an honor. It was a beautiful experience. It was very frustrating as we dealt with one physical ailment after another, but it was absolutely my honor to serve as caregiver for my mother. Mm -hmm. I interviewed someone years ago, Joy Davidson, who also is a caregiver advocate in the Denver area, and she described caregiving as a holy (laughs) privilege. Mm -hmm. What would you say to that? I would have to agree. I know Joy, and I absolutely would agree that it is indeed a holy privilege. Mm -hmm. And we'll talk more about that later. Mm -hmm. So there are many challenges that caregivers face. Uh, What were some of those challenges that you face personally and now through your work supporting caregivers that you see are pretty common? So I guess the biggest challenge was finding time for self-care. And this is National Family Caregivers Mm -hmm. um, Month. And the theme for this month's, uh, uh, this year's theme is Take care to care. Mm-hmm. And so that really is all about making sure that the caregiver places emphasis on self-care first mm-hmm. and foremost. And interestingly enough, it's the easiest thing to neglect. Mm-hmm. Uh, taking care of someone else, making sure that their nutritional me- needs are met, making sure that they get to the doctor. All of those things are priorities that every good caregiver ensures happen. Mm-hmm. But what we find is that in my own personal situation and certainly with my clients, we found over and over and over again that it is the most difficult thing to do. Mm-hmm. Well, in, in my work as a psychologist and mental health consultant, I see that all the time as well. And people have this misperception that it's being selfish to take care of themselves. But we know flight attendants have have explained it the best. They tell us when that oxygen mask falls down from the panel in the in the ceiling, we need to put our own oxygen mask on first before we assist elderly people or people needing assistance or children. Because if we pass out from lack of oxygen, there's no one to help that person in need. Exactly. I use that analogy all the time mm-hmm. because it is the best yes. analogy to help people really, really understand. Mm-hmm. And then when I talk to people who don't fly, they don't get that, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, so what are those challenges that, um, and we'll talk later about self-care, so what can we do to take care of the caregiver? But what are those challenges? Give us some some actual examples of day-to-day challenges. So the day-to-day cha- uh, challenge includes, first and foremost, knowing and understanding that this is a journey that you don't take alone. Mm-hmm. But there are so many caregivers who believe that they have to be responsible for doing Every aspect of the care, uh, as particularly we find that with spouses, mm-hmm. they mm-hmm. believe that, you know, part of their vow is to love and care for. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it is. But to not include, not allow others to come in to provide assistance, such mm-hmm. as uh, another family member or a good friend or 
home health care, uh, a, a paid professional to come in and offer support. Mm-hmm. Uh, respite is an important word that I talk to and make sure that every caregiver understands. Respite is about taking time away mm-hmm. and taking time for self so that you can rejuvenate and be in the position to best care for your loved one. And without it, you're in this vicious cycle of exhaustion, of and often, oftentimes it's 24-7 care. Many times it's for someone who is um, slowly deteriorating mm-hmm. and they're no longer able to do the activities of daily living, the basic things that we all take for granted. Mm-hmm. And so respite care is absolutely important, asking for help Mm -hmm. and accepting help when it is offered. Mm -hmm. So important. As I was reading your book, uh, Tears in My Gumbo, I kept thinking about my role as a parent to children. And you Mm -hmm. talked about the role reversal and how exhausting it can be as a parent of a healthy child who's (laughs) developing normally and growing up and the, the thing about caring for a child, a, a, a healthy child, a normal child, is that you know these developmental stages will pass. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. And so you said something important that whereas caring for a child, they tend to get more independent and mm-hmm. tend to function better and better over time. When someone is ill or disabled, they may be deteriorating and exactly. it may require more and more over time instead of less and less as a child grows. Exactly. And that's that's usually what we see in the mm-hmm. caregiving journey, mm-hmm. because typically when someone requires this extent of care, if it's tw- an average of 20 hours a week, yeah. it's because they don't have uh, the ability to do the things that they used to do. Mm-hmm. They have lost what's referred to as the ADLs, yes. the activities of daily living. Mm-hmm. So the things that they could do on their own, get dressed mm-hmm. on their own, shower, toileting, all of those things are things that when we're able-bodied, we we take for granted. But as someone uh, progresses through an illness, whether it is uh, some form of dementia Mm -hmm. or whether it is um, a a cancer or if it's simply old age and someone is just becoming more and more frail, uh, failure to thrive Mm -hmm. is happening. It is a process where those needs become greater and greater. Right. And you, in in your personal journey over the course of 15 years, um, I'm sure you're only 29 still, right? Exactly. <laughs> but um, the caregiver will age as well. Absolutely. When you talk, you talked about spouses caring for uh, their loved one. They're getting 15 years older while they're caring for someone who's deteriorating and whose ability to take care of themselves is declining. That's got to be tough. Yes, and I feel very fortunate to have been at the stage of life where I Mm. was because I was absolutely, you know, in great health, great shape Mm -hmm. myself. Mm -hmm. And so the things that I needed to do physically, my mother suffered a a massive stroke after Mm. uh, a diagnosis of a brain tumor. Mm -hmm. And so it was when she she had the stroke that I really needed to be able to physically provide assistance that I had never had to provide before. Mm -hmm. And literally I was lifting weights in order to be in a position to physically help move her and help her do what needed to be done. Mm -hmm. But I was also fortunate in that I had a a husband who was very much my partner and extremely supportive and amazingly helpful Mm -hmm. in that process. 
he's a fireman, so he that makes him extra special. Yes. <laughs> and uh, you know, he was born with that uh, that special gene. Yes. And uh, I know that I was exceptionally blessed to have that level of support mm-hmm. in the process. But it is it can be physically demanding. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It can be emotionally draining, mm-hmm. particularly as you deal with one ailment after another mm-hmm. and things don't get better right. when they should when you think they should get right. better yeah. and that's always the caregiver's ultimate hope that there is going to be improvement mm-hmm. that things are going to get better but many times that is not, not the, the case. case yes well you've written a book called tears in my gumbo uh, and i'd like you to talk about your book uh, because the the title begs explanation so <laughs> Tell the listeners about your book, Tears in My Gumbo, uh, what that gumbo metaphor is about and what your book is about. So that's the number one question I get. (laughs) What does gumbo have to do with caregiving? (laughs) Well, I'm from New Orleans. So if you understand that I'm from New Orleans, then you know that (laughs) gumbo is life, right? (laughs) Gumbo is life itself. (laughs) And um, the thing about gumbo and why it's it's an analogy to caregiving is because Gumbo is the comfort food to end all comfort (laughs) foods. It is, um, and every region of the country has that thing. For some, it's a stew. For others, it's chicken soup. Mm -hmm. Well, if you're from Louisiana, it's gumbo. And the thing about gumbo is that it's such a complex dish to make. It requires an awful lot of different ingredients, but it's always made or should always be made with love as the basis of it (laughs) because to take on the task of creating gumbo you got to have a love and a serious (laughs) heart for it in order to do it and it's a um, hodgepodge of different ingredients my specialty my family specialty is seafood Mm -hmm. gumbo and so that's the gumbo that we talk about that's the analogy but there's a ton of different types of gumbo and you basically use the ingredients that you have available and amazingly all of these different vegetables seasonings meats and the most important being the root, mm-hmm. which is the basis and the foundation, comes together eventually to create this perfect, <laughs> amazing, incredible dish. And so like caregiving, it's a hodgepodge of ingredients. There are different elements uh, uh, associated with the caregiving process. So you need community. You mm. need friends, family, in order to make this journey what it mm-hmm. should be. So asking for help. And, of course, the basis of the caregiving journey is love, just mm-hmm. like the basis of making mm-hmm. and creating a, an amazing uh, pot of gumbo is love. Amen. Yes. Well, that's actually one of my mother's sayings. My mother is a, an amazing cook. And uh, whenever we say, oh, it tastes so delicious, she always says it's made with love. Absolutely. <laughs> and you can taste the love. Yes. Well, that's wonderful. Now, throughout the book, you describe and illustrate what you call um, conscious caregiving, the five steps of conscious caregiving. Share with the listeners what what those five steps are. So I didn't come up with the five steps of conscious caregiving until I was well into the practice. Probably half, uh, I was four or five years into uh, the caregiver's guardian before I realized that there is really a distinct pattern that's happening here. And so the first stage is... Helplessness. Most of the time I get a call from a new client, prospective client, 
they don't know what to do. They don't Mm -hmm. know where to turn. They don't know what to ask. They don't know what they don't know. Mm -hmm. And they just feel absolutely helpless. Uh, And usually it's an emergency type situation when I get a phone call. Someone suffered a stroke Mm -hmm. or there's been a diagnosis and things have changed all of a sudden. Or with dementia, which can be very, very challenging for caregivers. Things were okay and it had been a slow progression. And then all of a sudden, almost overnight, there's been such a drastic change. Mm -hmm. It's like we can't leave our home alone anymore. You know, mm-hmm. and I don't know what to do. I'm I'm working. And what resources are available? Where do I turn? And how do I afford this? If you haven't planned, if you don't have long-term care insurance, if you don't have a family uh, situation that's been agreed upon, mm-hmm. that uh, you have a, a collective body working towards and making sure that that plan is implemented, mm-hmm. it can be really, really uh Daunting. Yes, absolutely. So say the say the steps for me again. So the first step is helplessness. Mm -hmm. The second step after helplessness is not process, but acceptance. uh, That's a little later. That is. (laughs) I know how it how it goes. You have helplessness, recognition, recognition, Mm -hmm. recognition is is the second step, Mm -hmm. and recognition happens once you get past this this sense of helplessness. You begin to recognize, okay, there are specific things that I need to do. And those things means that I, I've got to gain information. I've got to start to ask questions. Mm-hmm. I have to start to understand whether or not the caregiving role is, in fact, something that I can take on. Or mm-hmm. if if I can't be the caregiver, identify who can be. Right. You know, if we can't take care of our loved one in the home, identify the long-term care uh, facilities and resources that are available. Mm-hmm. And process? What, process. That's just in the thick of it day to day? In the thick of it, you are you're working through. It's mm-hmm. like now, okay, I'm understanding where we are. We've made the decision. We are in the process. My loved one may be in the facility or they may be in the home. And we've got a plan in place and we're moving through. We're still learning as we go. And even in the process mm-hmm. of process, mm-hmm. we go, we can revert back to the stage of helplessness mm-hmm. because something can happen as you're uh, on the journey that, you know, sort of throws you for yeah. a loop yeah. and it takes you right back to helplessness. Right. So it's a real cyclical process. Mm-hmm. And you talked about your mom over the course of the 15 years had multiple uh, situations. And while she recovered from one thing, something else happened. So you kind of just keep exactly, going. Exactly. Exactly. It's a back and forth, up and down roller coaster mm-hmm. scenario yeah. in many and many cases. Mm-hmm. It really teaches you what you're made of. Mm-hmm. I often would have people say, I don't know how you do it. Well, the caregiver doesn't know how they do it either. Mm -hmm. They simply are committed to doing whatever it is that needs to be done. Mm -hmm. And it's that commitment that gives them the fortitude, along with a foundation and uh, spiritual foundation. And I know we'll get into Mm -hmm. that soon. But um, always being grounded and and spirit and Mm -hmm. whatever your spiritual practice is and in prayer, meditation, whatever that is, and uh, that grounds you and really gives you the fortitude to get through the day Mm -hmm. so you can get ready for the next day right well and the bible talks about how trials produce perseverance and perseverance character and character hope and so you're talking about that character that that um, is revealed and drawn out because of the challenges of caregiving and then finally there's surrender 
Right. Acceptance comes before surrender. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I skip acceptance? Acceptance Mm -hmm. and then surrender. Mm -hmm. So acceptance is the state that you get to when you realize you can't change things. Mm -hmm. Because as caregivers, we are innately fixers. We are about making it better Mm -hmm. and we can make it, we can make things better, but we may may not be able to change the trajectory Mm. of our loved one's course, Mm -hmm. their illness. And when we get to acceptance, that's truly when we get to that place of recognizing that God really is in control Mm -hmm. and that we can do the best that we can in providing quality care. But we may not be able to make things better. Mm -hmm. Yes, ma'am. Well, um, you say in your book that caring for a loved one really is a decision that you make. Uh, Say more about that. It's a decision. Mm -hmm. And in that second stage, we talk about once you get past uh, helplessness and you're really beginning to understand, okay, um, what am I capable of doing? Mm -hmm. Can I really provide this care? And typically, when it's our parents, we think automatically, well, certainly. But based on our life circumstances, Mm -hmm. uh, family situation, uh, we've got so many uh, sandwich generations, Mm -hmm. those who have kids in the home, and you've got uh, incredible schedules to contend with, as well as working, both parents working full-time jobs, or one parent working a Mm full-time job, and being able to care for uh, a, a loved one who requires particularly 24-7 care, really forces you to do an assessment and ask the questions as to whether or not I can do Mm -hmm. this, you know? And many people make great sacrifices in Mm -hmm. order for this to happen. But planning, thinking ahead, first and foremost, having the conversation, Mm -hmm. what do we do in the event that life happens? Mm -hmm. Because life will Will absolutely happen. happen. Mm -hmm. And really having that conversation, especially with uh, with aging parents, it's necessary. It's essential. Right. And once that conversation is had, even the best laid plans right. may not come to fruition, but at least you've begun the process of thinking about it right. as opposed to never having the conversation and something happening. And all of a sudden right. you find yourself faced with quite a dilemma. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, the Bible tells us to honor our parents. And for some people that, um, it's easier to take them into your home and actually be the caregiver. Uh, But to honor our parents doesn't necessarily mean that we are the ones providing that care, but it's being concerned enough to make sure they're getting the care they need. Absolutely. So when you talk about it's a decision we make, we really do have to consider, um, can we care for our, our, our parent or whoever the person might be? We may want to, but not have the ability to. Maybe they need skilled nursing care that we wouldn't be able to provide ourselves. Mm-hmm. So there's so many factors uh, that go into it. Um, and you say that attitude is everything. So even if you're not able to do what you'd want to be able to do, having the right attitude makes all the difference, doesn't it? It's essential. Mm-hmm. Adjusting the attitude, and I use this analogy that if, you're at, if your attitude isn't right, make the necessary adjustments <laughs> in order to, just as you do when you're in the cooking process, right. uh, you have to adjust. You yes. have to turn that up, that heat up sometimes. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times you have to turn it real, you have to turn it down really, really low. Mm-hmm. And so with, um, with caregiving, it really is about the attitude mm. and the mindset. Mm-hmm. I had a wonderful mentor who I talk about in the book, Miss Yvonne, who was amazing in her attitude. Mm. She was caring for 
two people mm. while I was caring for just my mom and two people in her mm. instance, one had Alzheimer's, the other one had multiple sclerosis. Wow. And it was a monumental task, but you would never know it because her spirit was so sweet and her attitude was absolutely amazing. Mm. She had an attitude of gratitude, mm. grateful that she was in the position to love, uh, to care for her loved ones. Mm -hmm. And uh, she demonstrated that every single day. Wow. So that's, it's a choice to make that decision. I'm going, I am going to do this and I'm not going to do it be, begrudgingly. It's kind of even, even like the Bible says, you know, God loves a cheerful giver. If you're going to uh, obey the command, you know, to give, uh, we need to do it cheerfully and not begrudgingly. And it seems like it's the same thing with caregiving. Uh, you're listening to Living Well with Dr. Peg. I'm your host, Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark, and we're going to take a break uh, to hear from our sponsor. Uh, but first, uh, Nadine says other family members only have two choices when it comes to caring for their loved ones. We'll find out what these choices are when we come back. My guest again is Nadine Roberts Cornish, author of Tears in My Gumbo, The Caregiver's Recipe for Resilience. Don't go away. We'll be right back. One needs to look no further than today's headlines to understand the threats facing American schools. They remain soft targets for violent threats, and yet our schools go largely underprepared. Our children deserve the highest level of education in the safest learning environment possible. The SSI Guardian QAL, or Quick Action Lockdown, is the fastest and safest way to lock down a classroom. This revolutionary device provides schools with maximum locking protection while meeting all safety, fire, and building codes. Designed by the leading lock experts in the world, the QAL is the only lock that meets Department of Homeland Security primer recommendations. SSI Guardian QAL now makes classroom lockdowns fast and safe with the red button. As a parent, you have every right to demand that your child is afforded the best classroom protection. Take action today by calling SSI Guardian at 877-878-5800 or go to guardianprotect.com. That's guardianprotect.com. With SRN News, I'm Ron DeRockstra. A sudden downpour cut short a Hillary Clinton speech in South Florida today. She left the stage after speaking for just seven minutes. Now she's heading to Philadelphia for a concert rally this evening. Melania Trump joined her husband today in Wilmington, North Carolina, telling supporters the country needs a president who will keep the nation safe, lower taxes, and bring back jobs. An autopsy has found a man killed by a North Carolina police officer in July was shot nine times. Asheville police say the suspect was shot because he had a semi-automatic rifle and a woman in his car. As he led officers on a chase, the woman appeared to be struggling to get out of the vehicle. A South Carolina church holding a cookout to thank law enforcement officers who are searching property where a woman was found chained in a storage container. Members of a Baptist church near the property grilled and served hamburgers to dozens of cops. This is SRN News. MLS 378844, regulated by the Division of Real Estate. Denver home values have climbed to their highest in history, but your bank still wants you to pay $100, $200 or more in mortgage insurance. Why? I'll shoot you straight. The banks are not your friends. They get rich upon your labors as you continue to pay unnecessary mortgage insurance. Your heavy burdens of debt, interest, and fees are literally their business model. Do you really think your bank is going to tell you how to lower their profits? Not a chance. If you're ever going to get ahead, you'll need someone on your side of the table. I'm Brian Murphy, owner of Front Range Mortgage. 
Mortgage, a local Colorado-only mortgage team that has helped hundreds of Coloradans to fight back against the banks, drop their mortgage insurance, lower their payments, pay off credit cards, and get a little breathing room. I advocate for you against your bank. Call me and my local BBB-approved team for a painless five-minute conversation to see how we can fight for you and your family. Our number, 303-500-1900. That's 303-500-1900 or visit frontrangemortgage.com. Hillary Clinton just can't tell us the truth. This is what Hillary told millions of viewers in the last presidential debate. At the Clinton Foundation, spend 90%, 90% of all the money that uh, is donated on behalf of programs of people around the world and in our own country. I'm very proud of that. But according to Clinton Foundation's own IRS filings in 2014, less than 6% of the money spent that year went to program donations. Less than 6%. So how did they spend the money? $7.8 million was spent on travel. $12.4 million was spent on media and conferences, and over $34 million was spent on salaries and benefits. If this is what Hillary does to her own charity, just imagine what she'll do as president. In fact, I am thrilled to talk about the Clinton Foundation, and I am so proud of the work that it does. Hillary Clinton, dishonest and wrong for America. Paid for by Great America PAC, who's responsible for the content of this advertising. Not authorized by any candidate for candidates committee. GreatAmericaPAC.com. To learn more about living well with Dr. Pegg, visit drpegradio.com. And now, Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark. Welcome back, everyone. We're talking with Nadine Roberts-Cornish of The Caregiver's Guardian and author of Tears in My Gumbo. And you can learn more about Nadine at tcgcares.com. Thanks, Nadine, for being on the show. Thanks, Dr. Pat. Thanks, sticking with me. <laughs> well, uh, we were talking about caregiving is overwhelming. Um, and one thing that you recommended in your book, Tears in My Gumbo, is caregivers should ask for help when, when needed. Um, and is that hard for caregivers? You talked about um, it's kind of their nature to care and want to be the ones providing the care. How hard is it to ask for help? It is so hard. <laughs> <laughs> it is so hard because for for some reason, caregivers tend to believe that they can do it all themselves mm-hmm. or that they should be should. able to do mm-hmm. it all themselves. And asking for help is the most important mm-hmm. thing that they should do. Accepting help is the most important mm-hmm. thing that they should do. But it is difficult. It is so difficult. Um, there are preconceived notions that the caregiver will have in their head. It's it's difficult. It's going to take me so much time to explain yes. what has to be done. <laughs> right. And then nobody can do it like I can do mm-hmm. it. And I was so guilty of that. Yes. I so believe that there was so much, there was such complexity involved in my mother's care that, uh, it just didn't make any sense for me to take the time and energy to explain to someone. Mm-hmm. And then when I did do that, they didn't do it quite like I thought they should do mm-hmm. it. Or they didn't have the same energy or attitude about it. So I had preconceived mm-hmm. notions about what their motives really were. Right. And so <laughs> I really did. I, I, it really was self-talk, negative self-talk mm-hmm. that 
really uh, did not serve me. Mm -hmm. And so as I transitioned into consulting and coaching clients and doing doing care management work, I was so able to clearly see what I had done, what I had been guilty of. And so now it's so easy to uh, coach to the caregivers and help them understand the importance of not just asking for help, Mm -hmm. but accepting help. Accepting it. And accepting it the way it's delivered, as long as it's not negligent, it's okay. And I, mm-hmm. I, I wonder about one's identity as a caregiver, because you'll see similar things happen with parents. Their identity becomes as mother or father. And when their children grow up, it's really hard for them to experience that empty nest. Uh, you've done your job well when your child has grown up and you've launched them and they're off on their own. But if your whole identity is wrapped up in parenting, what do you do when you no longer have to parent? Is it similar for caregivers? I think for some caregivers it is, particularly when they're providing that constant care mm-hmm. and their primary role is as caregivers. Mm-hmm. I think it's very, very easy for that to happen. And I've certainly seen that. Yes. Um, it's so important. And that's why one of the things we do uh, with creating a care plan the care plan that we create at the caregiver's guardian is the care plan for the caregiver. Mm-hmm. And so that really helps them map out specifically what they want their life to look like mm-hmm. during the course of the caregiving journey. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes caregivers make the mistake of putting their lives on hold mm-hmm. while they're caregiving. And it is so essential that you continue the most important relationships that you've had, that you continue participation, excuse me, participating in the activities and the hobbies that Mm -hmm. you, that you had. That's really, really essential Mm -hmm. because if you lose that and let that go, then you're not giving your best as an individual and certainly not as a caregiver. Right. Absolutely. So part of accepting that help is to reach out to other family members. And so um, on the one hand, you may have to deal with a caregiver whose identity is too wrapped up in their role as caregiver, or they don't think anyone else can really do it as good as they do, as as well as they do, uh, but they have to um, reach out for help. And so when it comes to uh, family members, often a caregiver, maybe an adult, you talked about the sandwich generation, maybe they have younger children and now they're caring for their own parents, so they're a middle-aged adult. Many of them may have siblings or other family members who certainly are capable or able to care for the loved one, but they've taken on that role. Uh, So they really do have to reach out and ask for help. And in your book, uh, Tears in My Gumbo, you say when it comes to involving those other family members, it's either your time or your money that's needed. Say more about that statement. That's a pretty strong statement. (laughs) And it's one that I make all the time. I have the privilege of facilitating and mediating Mm -hmm. uh, family uh, discussions, uh, often family meetings on a, on a fairly regular basis. And, Always, uh, no matter what the age of the adult children, 
tends to be, and I know you see this all the time in your practice, but it's the 14 and the 16 year old that shows up. <laughs> and it's, it's all uh, maybe, maybe more like the seven year old okay. sometimes, depending which family you're dealing with. Exactly. And so we bring all of this baggage to the table and it's things that, that haven't been addressed. And so it's so interesting when the family comes together and they have to make a decision. There's infighting around silly things mm-hmm. oftentimes. And as a mediator, I'm really help I really am in a position to help them get to the bottom of what the what the problem is and not really diagnose anything at all because that's not what I do, mm-hmm. but simply help them focus on what's important and what the objective is. Mm-hmm. If we're taking care of if, if the deal is is that we we got to take care of mom now. What's important is that everybody participate in the process and bring to the table whatever it is that they have. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, uh, uh, caregivers are long distance caregivers mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they can't be there. And so, if they can't be, if they can't provide their time, then absolutely their resources are needed so that we can hire someone in their stead Mm -hmm. so that the primary caregiver gets the support that they need while they're caring for the parent particularly. So those are your two choices, siblings out there, your time or your money. And it it could be a matter of giving respite to the primary caregiver uh, by, by having, if the person can't leave the home, coming into the home so that the, the full-time caregiver can get a break. Exactly. It may mean um, driving them to appointments. Mm-hmm. Uh, it may be coming over once or twice a week or on whatever schedule to cook or grocery shop. So it's either your time or if you're long distance and just can't be there, sending those resources to provide help. Absolutely. And even when you are providing resources, your presence is also needed Mm -hmm. periodically. Mm -hmm. And so it may mean making adjustments and that two week vacation Mm -hmm. that you're accustomed to taking wherever you go, you know, may need to be cut in order to check in to be able to travel wherever your parent is Mm -hmm. so that you can check in and see what's going on because it's a very different experience hearing about what's going Mm -hmm. on as opposed to actually visiting, being there and seeing with their own eyes Mm -hmm. what's transpiring. Right. And we'll talk about advocacy because you say that, uh, if your parent is in a facility or a nursing home or assisted living, it's really important to be visible so and to pop in from time to time unexpectedly, and that ensures that your um, loved one is getting the best quality care possible. Absolutely, and it also uh, applies to doctor's appointments. Mm-hmm. It's really important that as, and we're specifically talking about our aging parents mm-hmm. right now, but it really is important that whether it's a spouse, whether mm-hmm. it's a parent, anyone that's being cared for, that they have an advocate attending mm-hmm. that doctor's appointment. Uh, it's so important that the doctor hears your perspective as a caregiver. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are so many things, and I remember with my father-in-law who passed last year, he had dementia, Mm -hmm. and for the last year of his life, my husband went to just about every appointment that he had because what we came to realize was that even though he seemed to be functioning fairly well, 
there were things that he was forgetting to tell the doctor. Mm. And then there was there was selective, what felt like selective memory right. going on as right. well. Mm-hmm. And so it was really important to be there so that the doctor could get the full a full picture. Right. Excellent. Uh, well, getting help uh, from family is great. And you talked about making sure to ask for help. Talk about some of the resources that are available to people in the community that wouldn't be family members that they're asking for help, but services available in the community. We've already talked about respite care. What are some of the other uh, resources out there? Well, it's very important to know whether or not your loved one qualifies for the Medicaid long-term care, Mm -hmm. home and community-based services program. Mm -hmm. That's a really important uh, uh, program particularly for individuals over 65 who have two deficits in in the activities of daily living. Mm -hmm. So if you have a loved one who can no longer take, uh, uh, take care of themselves per se if they can't prepare a meal if they can't uh, they, if they need help with bathing or clothing that type of thing then they would potentially be eligible for that program mm. if they met the financial mm-hmm, gui- uh, mm-hmm. guidelines and so that service alone has probably been a it's a lifesaver mm. to to thousands and thousands mm. of caregivers and care recipients because there you are eligible for adult daycare, mm-hmm. which is really uh, an amazing respite for uh, for the caregiver and a great opportunity for the care recipient mm. to get out and engage with people, be involved in activities and another environment. Right. That's excellent. Um, so in-home assistance, respite care, adult care. Um, and I know that you've been involved with the Alzheimer's support group and here in Denver, uh, Lutheran Family Services, African-American Caregivers Support Group. And we can talk a little bit more about that in our next segment. Um, a, a role of an advocate really is to make sure, as you say in your book, that all the boxes are checked when requesting services. And so we can talk a little bit more about that as well after the break. Um, you're listening to Living Well with Dr. Pegg. I'm your host, Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark, and my guest today is Nadine Cornish of The Caregiver's Guardian. Uh, She's the author also of Tears in My Gumbo, and you can learn more about her at tcgcares.com. And Nadine, people can reach you all over the country, right? They don't have to just live in in the Denver metro area, is that correct? Half of my clients now are all over the country. Okay, wonderful, good. Well, do you know what documents you need to have prepared in advance in the event that you one day need a caregiver for yourself? Nadine will tell us after this word from our sponsor exactly what you're going to need. Schools can no longer afford not to invest in a professional evidence-based advanced safety education training program. It's the single most important decision and investment a school administrator will ever make in their professional career. When all else fails, training and preparation are the only things that will increase your chances of survival in a violent incident such as an active shooter or act of terrorism. SSI Guardian has set the new standard in advanced safety education by providing evidence-based advanced training programs tailored to your needs. While there are many basic training programs largely based on opinion and emotion, 
SSI Guardian is the only advanced training program of its type with an accredited continuing education unit or CEU issued by an accredited university. SSI Guardian has set the new standard in advanced safety education by providing evidence-based advanced training and solutions to learning institutions, faith-based and professional organizations. To learn more, call SSI Guardian today at 877-878-5800 or visit guardianprotect.com. To learn more about living well with Dr. Pegg, visit drpegradio.com. And now, Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark. Welcome back. We're talking with Nadine Roberts-Cornish of The Caregiver's Guardian and author of Tears in My Gumbo. Even if you're not in the Denver metro area, you can still work with Nadine. Learn more about what she offers at tcgcares.com. Now, we were saying that in terms of being an advocate, uh, there's so many resources available and um, probably a lot of paperwork and forms that have to be filled out. And so you say we always have to make sure that all the boxes are checked, metaphorically and literally. Absolutely. <laughs> and that's one of the biggest challenges for many care- caregivers, especially mm. my seniors. Mm-hmm. Um, fortunately, Things have changed, but uh, two years ago, the Medicaid application was 36 pages. (laughs) It is now down to, I think it's been streamlined here in Colorado to about nine pages. Mm -hmm. And so that's certainly a major, major improvement. Mm -hmm. But still, there are questions that are asked. There's terminology that's used that you may not be familiar with. And so I really encourage everyone, if you're not certain Ask. Mm-hmm. Ask for assistance. Ask for someone to support you through the process of completing the application. Here in the state of Colorado, the SHIP program is the program that assists uh, in, in individuals with both Medicaid and Medicare applications, and it's a wonderful resource. But asking for help, mm-hmm. even if it's a, if it's a next-door neighbor, mm-hmm. have someone take a look at the form if questions that you're not certain about are being asked. And it's essential to answer every single mm-hmm. question because one of the processes of elimination is not completing the application. Mm-hmm. And the process, even when you complete everything perfectly, can be months long. Mm. So missing a question can be the difference between getting approval within a 90-day period mm-hmm. or getting approval nine months mm. down the line. Right, and that's why everyone needs an advocate whether it's a professional such as yourself or at least someone else to take another look. Absolutely. Um, so we we want to know what documents are needed. And, and we already talked about how it's important to have the conversations with your loved ones about how you want to be cared for if you become incapacitated. Um, people who are middle-aged are more likely to become disabled. You know, we all have life insurance, but we have to make sure we also have long-term disability insurance. And that we've talked with our loved ones who are potential caregivers about our wishes. So talk with us about um, getting, quote unquote, getting your affairs in order and the documents, the specific documents that we need to have um, have reviewed and have in place. Yes. So in the book, I talk about two twins who were 88 years old, Melly and Kelly, mm-hmm. and they were just phenomenal because these two 88 year old twins 
were so on top of everything mm-hmm. that they put most of my other clients <laughs> to shame mm-hmm. as well as myself because they literally had dotted all the I's and crossed all of the T's. So the first thing that I was impressed with was that they, of course, had the power of attorney mm-hmm. so that they had designated each other as their uh, spokesperson, mm-hmm. as the person to make decisions for on their behalf if, in fact, they were unable to do so, mm-hmm. right? And so uh, that was the first document, the power of attorney mm-hmm. document. Then there was the durable medical uh, power mm-hmm. of attorney. That's important because that is what your health care providers need to, need to see in order for a designated loved one to make decisions on your behalf. Mm-hmm. And we should all have adorable medical power of attorney. Mm-hmm. It really is important and necessary because life happens every single day. Another document that we talk about and that's used around the country is the five wishes documents. It's referred to as the living will with the Mm. soul. Mm. I love the five wishes document because it really is user friendly and it allows you to state exactly what it is that you want under various conditions. It's about five pages long and it really is user friendly and you're able to state exactly what you want to have happen Mm -hmm. in the event of. So whether it's a uh, you you need to name someone, designate someone as uh, your power of attorney, Mm -hmm. uh, whether or not something happens and you are on life support, Mm -hmm. how long you want to stay on life support, what you want your quality of life to be. And it really handles things all the way through the the final um, moments of your life Mm -hmm. and ultimately what you want to have happen, because guess what? We're all going to die at some point point. Mm-hmm. And it's really important to think about it because not thinking about it won't change the fact that inevitably it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. I say in the book, none of us are getting out of here alive. Yes. And it's a truth. Yes. Yes. I had uh, Michelle Adams on my program uh, some time ago and she's an estate planning attorney and yes. she really made you know a compelling case for why we all need to have these conversations. And most importantly, the signed legal documents because we can have the conversation, but people may have interpreted it differently than we intended. They may recall it differently than we intend, and then you can have conflicts. So if everything's done in writing and documented and official, um, notarized or whatever is required, it really makes it easier for the loved ones who are trying to honor your requests, and certainly you get what you want for your yes. life. Yeah. And Michelle Adams is an elder uh, elder care, elder law mm-hmm. uh, attorney, and I refer many clients to her because, like you just said, and we can't stress it enough, mm-hmm. having the conversation is not, not enough. enough. Yeah, and that was a really important point that she had brought out. Well, um, let's talk a little bit about uh, the spiritual aspect of caregiving um, in our last uh, several minutes of the program. Uh, We talked about uh, Joy Davidson's comment that caregiving is a holy privilege. So we've kind of gone full circle from starting there. And I want to end on that good note uh, because we we we. I think we have a better understanding because of your expertise and what you shared of the challenges involved in caregiving. But again, if we make the decision to care and we are uh, adjusting our attitude, we're asking for help. We know the importance of self-care 
um, we have all the documentation in place to make um, executing people's desires easier, uh, it can be a, a positive experience, can't it? Absolutely. And I really believe that your spiritual practice is what gets you mm-hmm. through mm-hmm. the journey. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what to offer anyone that doesn't have that understanding yes. other than uh, it's absolutely my opportunity to to reach out, mm-hmm. to witness yes. and to uh, pray with them. Uh, because prayer is absolutely a daily, necessary, essential ingredient mm-hmm. and component. I say in the book, if you don't know Jesus, then now's a good, good, a good time, time to find him. Yes. Because if you take on this task, it really is a spiritual journey. Mm-hmm. And it should, it, when you're cognizant of that, you're able to move through the journey with ease and grace. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that Miss Yvonne uh, had. And I talk mm-hmm. about her in the book. I also talk about another family whose house they refer to as the house of grace. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. family, uh, uh, we tell the story of uh, their experience with prayer. Mm-hmm. They received the $10,000 bill that they weren't expecting. And they didn't know anything to do other than to pray <laughs> over yes. it because they didn't have the money for it. Mm-hmm. And for six months, those bills went went into their prayer box Mm. and six months later (laughs) after meetings, after advocating on their behalf, after being told, no, we're sorry. Six months later, they got a letter that said, Mm. you know, nothing was due. Amen. Praise the Lord. I've had that experience as well. um, Praying with someone over a very large um, hospital bill, Mm -hmm. uh, surgery and all of that. And he didn't know the Lord. And so I was like, well, I do. (laughs) Let's pray about this. And I prayed also that the Lord would show himself strong and faithful um, by handling this large bill and, and it, it got forgiven. I think he ended up paying a total of a couple hundred dollars out of tens of thousands of dollars. And so we as believers, we, we know that God he- hears our prayers. My husband always says no prayer goes unheard and no prayer goes unanswered. And mm-hmm. sometimes, of course, the answer is no, mm-hmm. but it's been heard and, yes. and everything is um, uh, being sifted through God's hands. So he, he's aware Um, Amen. You also say that gratitude is an important ingredient in the gumbo. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. Being grateful, being grateful for the opportunity to serve Mm -hmm. as a caregiver, adjust their attitude and understand the honor of serving, the honor of caring. Really, it it truly is a blessing. Mm -hmm. And the gratitude around being able to care for a loved one is really it's it's tremendous. Yes. And you conclude your book with a concept I won't be able to pronounce. I think it's Latin, so I'll say the English, the carer of the soul. The care of the soul, and it's actually actually a Celtic term, Celtic, okay. and it's anamkara. Okay. And it really is a concept that I was introduced to about six years ago. The care of the soul is, uh, it, as part of the Irish tradition, Doctors were revered. Uh, any medical profession was revered. Mm-hmm. Uh, a pastor, a priest was revered because they had the honor of companioning someone who was at the end of their life. Mm-hmm. And they were dubbed the carer of the soul. And it was such a beautiful concept. And I realized that I had been able to serve as Anamkara for my mother. Mm-hmm. And so many of my caregivers, they've never heard the term, mm-hmm. but they indeed are carers of the soul. Amen. Amen. So it certainly is a holy privilege. Uh, You can learn more about Nadine 
Roberts Cornish and her book, Tears in My Gumbo, at tcgcares.com. Nadine, thank you so much for being on the program with me today. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Yes. Listeners, I also wrote a book called Doggy Tales, Lessons on Life, Love, and Loss I Learned from My Dog. And one of the tales in the book is about a dog named Benji and what he taught his owner, Regina, about just how much God loves her. Uh, Benji became blind and disabled, and we can learn lessons as well from gumbo and a dog. (laughs) My guest has been Nadine Roberts Cornish. I'm Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark reminding you to live well. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast of Living Well with Dr. Peg. Living Well with Dr. Peg is brought to you by SSI Guardian, who has set the new standard in advanced safety education. If you'd like to learn more about the show, our sponsor, or mental health consulting and publishing services, visit www.drpegradio.com. Remember to join us every Saturday at 1 p.m. on 94.7 KRKS-FM for Living Well with Dr. Peg.